in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my genuine co-host, Patrick Pister. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Patrick, we've done two podcasts in a row. <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves. And we're actually in uh, beautiful Spring, Texas, and we're at... We're at Wellside today. We're we've Wellside got today. Uh, Ken Hartman and Chris Eli, and we're, uh, we're talking all things IoT, machine learning, social networks for the oil field. We, we covered a lot of stuff already. We, we should have had the microphones on. At lunch. We keep saying <laughs> it. We need to start doing it. Yeah. Before we go any further, if you want to support the show, do me a favor. Leave a review. It takes two minutes. It's the number one way to support the show just leave us a review, please. All right. So it'll, it'll shut Mark up. It'll shut me up. If, if you leave a review, <laughs> I won't ask this next time, I promise. So, you know, Chris and I, uh, Rebecca uh, hooked us up. We, um, I came out and visited y'all. Uh, it was last week, and, and you just wowed me. And it's really hard to wow me. It took me a little while to get my head wrapped around what y'all are doing. And y'all are doing so many different things, all at the intersection of oil and gas and technology. Before we get into what y'all are doing, I want to know a little bit about your backstory. How did you get in this industry? So it's funny story. So I went to college, actually, uh, my family is, is from law enforcement originally, uh, long story, uh, goes way back decades. But so I was working actually as a prison guard at, um, in, on death row and in Huntsville going to school for a <laughs> finance degree. <laughs> Because I didn't want to do, uh, I, I I mean, even the inmates inside the prison would say, Eli, what are you doing in here? They they didn't they they knew I didn't belong in there, right? <laughs> so I knew I wasn't cut out for uh, for law enforcement for law enforcement. Yeah. But uh, so uh, when I left college, when I graduated, it was everybody was going oil and gas at the time. Oil and gas was blowing up. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, activity everywhere, uh, mainly offshore at the time. And I took a job with neighbors. Neighbors offered me a good deal, started uh, low on the totem pole and worked myself up. And, and by that time I'd, I'd established a family in California and was working in, in Ventura Hills, California and working really all over California, uh, all the way up to Oregon, and my friends called me from Texas, all the guys I knew from college, and said, "Hey, we're working for Slumber's Day. Come, come down here to the Gulf Coast. Work, you know, move back to Texas." And so that then I moved back to Texas and continued working for them, and then ended up overseas in Southeast Asia and uh, working for Halliburton and and some some large multinationals there, and then came back. And actually, half of my career was spent offshore and overseas. So when I came back to the states, it was funny. All of a sudden, I was the old guy, which, which <laughs> was kind of strange, and and I knew nobody. <laughs> so uh, all my connections had moved up and moved out of the of Slumberger and into other organizations, and and now they were they were somebody somewhere else, you know. And and so I had to reconnect and spend some time reconnecting. So it took me about a good four years to get 
get back into the swing of things in North America. And, and, uh, and I did real well. And so then that got me to 2015 and, and that's when, um, I just decided, you know, this is a time and the industry's really hurting. And I believe that I have more to offer than just, uh, terminating people and, and knee jerk reaction to the traditional cut and, um, you know, cutting costs methods that were out there. And I just knew there was a better way. So, I decided I'm going to go out on my own and do it. And for other personal reasons, I said, I, I think now's the time. And I made that choice and was looking for more efficient ways to do stuff. And that's how I ran into Ken Hartman. And and then when we started talking, it just really clicked for me. And, and I said, now this guy gets it. This guy's high level IT guy. Uh, he understands the, the business. He understands uh, outside the business, looks at things from a different perspective. I said, absolutely, this is this is where I need to be. So, Yeah, and Ken. What he didn't tell you is how we actually met. So I left Baker after 15 years to start WellSite, and Chris owned Janelle Energy Services, which was a directional company. And so he was actually my first paying customer at WellSite. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the it's way that story. I met Chris is because he actually signed up for a premium subscription, and the credit card transaction failed. And so he picks up the phone and calls, and I said, oh, great. This guy is just going to tear me up and down. So <laughs> he was really nice about it and gracious. We solved the problem. But I, after speaking with him just briefly, I realized that we had a lot in common. So I asked him to, to go meet me for lunch. And as he said, you know, we, we talked, you know, about oil and gas, had a great meeting. And, you know, it, the fit for me was obvious. You know, I coming, as he said, from IT background, I was SAP consultant. I worked for Baker and had good experience there, especially in field operations. But I needed someone like Chris to come in and work with me and really be a partner. And so that's that's kind of how that whole thing kicked off. Yeah. So I, I almost am scared to ask this question because, Patrick, you don't know this. I actually came here to shoot some video. And once I got my head wrapped around what Wellsite's doing, I, I couldn't shoot any video because it was just it would have been an epic move, blockbuster movie. <laughs> not shoot video. So I'm almost scared to ask this, but I have to. So if you want to explain what Wellsite does, what do you all do? I think that's Ken. Ken can explain it really good. I hate so. when he does this. <laughs> so WellSite at a very high level is an industry platform for upstream oil and gas. Okay, so we're using advanced technology, uh, cloud, artificial intelligence, and, and soon blockchain to build a platform that standardizes processes, supports collaboration between operators and service companies, and ultimately lowers the transaction cost for these companies, for all companies in, in the ecosystem. As you mentioned, we're working with some very cutting-edge conversational artificial intelligence that really changing things, will really change things in the industry. And, yeah, I, you're going to edit that out. Sorry. I ask you to do that because yeah. I, I, this is something that we kick back and forth of who's who's the guy in the room that talks about it. But <laughs> I love Ken. Uh, Ken's got a passion for the industry that is, uh, I mean, it's just there's no other person I've ever met besides myself that's so passionate about change, about technology and, and advancing different business models and changes and platforms. And, and Ken is just so passionate. I'd love to hear his passion come out and talk about this and, and what we're doing in the industry and what Wellsite is because Wellsite, Ken, Ken is, that's, that's Ken's baby. Uh, Wellsite was really, 
formed from him uh, in, in, in his vision and his, his desire. Me, I was looking for a, an ultra-efficient way to do business in oil and gas that was different than anybody out there and what they had. That's how I came up with Ken's, uh, you know, after some research, I found Ken through that. And uh, what he didn't say is I, I was creating these 60-page Word documents with photos and images and process changes that I wanted to see in WellSite and was sending them to him through the support <laughs> portal. So, so he he probably saw it a little bit. He was like, "Who is this guy? Like sending me this this crap? Like he's just sending me stuff like, uh, and he wants all these changes done." And and it so that's that goes back to kind of the conversation when we had lunch and. And uh, I just knew Ken's a great guy, and and it's just good to be on a team that uh, with someone like him and his vision. So I love to hear him talk about well sites. So. Yeah, so Ken, you had free quality assurance going on. Is that what <laughs> that was? Yeah, the, the backlog like tripled overnight. Uh, yeah, he he's very detailed. Let's say. Well, I want to back it up a little bit because sure. if we send, we'll have uh, links in our show notes to well site. But if mm-hmm. our audience goes there. They're going to see what you described. I don't know if they're going to see the connection right away. You're absolutely right. So when you go to Wellsite, to me, it looks more like a social platform, a, a LinkedIn heavy, and we'll mention Oil Pro because it was sure. it used to be around. That's what it looks like when you see it. Yeah. So I could tell you a little bit of the backstory and the evolution of Wellsite. So Wellsite 1.0, when I first launched it, was really a bidding platform and very specific bidding platform for connecting operators to service companies. And it managed that whole process. And I flushed that project because, honestly, I didn't think it was innovative enough. I didn't think that the, the business model was uh, revolutionary enough you know, for the industry. It wasn't the, the step change that we were trying to introduce in the platform. So we pivoted to more of a Salesforce on demand you know, because we identified all of the, the resources that were essentially laid off from all the different service companies, especially in the sales organizations. They were some of the first to go. So we created a platform that matched the, the sales reps with manufacturers and suppliers that needed representation. And and that actually became very popular. Almost overnight, we had 600 sales reps sign up for what we call... in the downturn, I'm sure you had a lot. Yeah, We had a lot, right. And, and you know, that what the downturn did was turn everyone's relationships and connections on their side. You know, you had people you could send to your, your distribution list and 50% of them would bounce back. So we, we built that platform. It was well-received. We were selling subscriptions to suppliers that, you know, to, to move into markets, to, to test in markets that they weren't uh, working in. And you mentioned it, so I'll go there. Uh, when Oil Pro, you know, uh, unfortunately went away, we saw an opportunity and we saw a huge gap in, in the market for a social platform. We had always talked about the need for a social platform and building that community further. And we knew that the social features of the platform needed to be built out. So we then executed another pivot and went back to what you now know as wellsite.com. So you're right. It, it is a LinkedIn kind of a, a platform for oil and gas. It, it has all of the same features uh, that you would see on Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and Twitter. They all do something different too. That's not just people on there. You you were showing an example of you can put equipment that's connected to the internet 
and the equipment's putting updates out of about what it's doing, what its temperature, where it, what its location is, what operation it's running. That's so exactly right. So which is interesting to see, but it's something you wouldn't expect. Yeah. So it, 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 that's exactly right. So it's a pla- it's a social network that's actually powered by a very strong artificial intelligence engine, right? And and, and as you mentioned, Internet of Things. So we, we do have assets that are on the platform, the ability to go and just say, I, you know, I want to add this tool, and and you give some information about it, and all of a sudden that tool is now reporting to wellsite.com and you can interact with that tool in the same way that you would the connections on LinkedIn. You can right? poke it. So it exactly. <laughs> <laughs> poke it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's changing the way that people are, are viewing data and work in working with their connections and working with assets. And that's really at the end of the day is a step change for the industry. And that's, that's what we want to do. Yeah, so our audience is probably going, Mark and Patrick, this isn't the technology podcast. <laughs> right, yeah, <Come> sorry. <laughs> so, no, 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 this is good because you, audience, you have to go sign up. You got to check this out. It, it's really rare when I say anything like it. This is revolutionary, but it's unbelievably instinctively easily to use. And it's just really cool and very useful. Chris, when I visit with you the first time, we start talking through what y'all are doing. And one of the things that popped in my head almost immediate was you affect safety metrics. Absolutely. In a big way, in a lot of different places. Let's kind of talk about that a little bit. So there's, we believe that HSE in, in our platform is probably one of the most, I wouldn't say unsung hero, but it's, it's one of the biggest uh, opportunities out there for us in the domain space. Like we're in drilling, we're in completions, we're in production, supply chain, of course, uh, but HSE has so many use cases uh, with, with this platform technology and we're seeing through even conversational AI is, is able to connect people to uh, processes, to forms in a way that's so efficient that we were just at an oil company having this discussion where the question I asked was, how many policies and procedures do you guys have in HSE? And the the I'm not going to name names because I don't want I want to do that to people. But the answer was from a high level guy that should know. He said, "Chris, I don't know. Like it's it's in the thousands." And so it, for me, I, I took that as how can our platform connect them to uh, statistics? So what what is our TRIR, what is our, what's our rating? What's, what are our statistics? How, what's the average statistic in the industry? How do we rank compared to other people in our peer group? These are all questions that you can easily ask conversational AI and you can get the results from, and it can give you high level into deep detail about how your company is. And and even as simple as, as someone asking or texting this, this platform and saying, I need a hot work permit. I need a, a, a confined space entry permit. And it send you their permit. Like these are things or SOPs on how to do things. JSAs. There's so many applications for HSE that it, it's really, it almost makes your head pound. It is mind-boggling. Uh, it's mind-boggling, yeah. You know, Patrick raised uh, the point about the smart trailer reporting on wellsite.com, and that's actually not by accident. 
that particular trailer that you see is actually called an emergency trailer that goes out on location has eye wash stations, shower and things like that. Now those things are monitored with H2S detectors and with GPS location and temperature gauges for this exact reason. HS&E is something we take very seriously. We want to get people out to the field and back home at the end of the day. And so that's why the, the smart trailer in emergency trailer was one of the first applications that, that we put out. Well, it's funny when emergency equipment gets used, how often it's not reported. And if it's not reported, the equipment can't be put back in service, replaced. Even, you know, working offshore spill kits, that was a weekly job. You had to go out and make sure all the spill kits were, That's their right. tags were in place. If they were in place, you mean, that means the equipment wasn't used. But oftentimes you'd have to go put some diapers back in there. If that would just connect to something and say, hey, this one opened up. Now, you know, somebody needed some sort of spill response piece of equipment. Why do they need it? Is that getting reported? So yeah, having a, a piece of safety equipment, this, this trailer out there that tells you the, the Iowa station was activated, this, this chest was opened up and it has this equipment, which means there was this type of event that could possibly have happened. That's it, exactly right. It, it even goes deeper than that with sensor technology and the internet of things. We're able, that trailer is able to tell you when it's not able to enable a valve or hey i'm not able to run the eyewash station and so it's able to uh, basically interact with you in a way that a human could now that it can say i don't have enough water pressure to run the shower right now so i need to order myself a service ticket and i need some sir i need someone to come out and service me instead of the traditional way we put a guy on the road to go check a trailer that he doesn't know anything about until he arrives on location so he doesn't know the condition he doesn't know where the location is he has to manually keep track of all of this these are he's got some parts and yeah, some equipment with him but he may not have exactly he might not what he have needs. what he needs right. and and now the trailers are able to tell you my the air conditioner is not working, the heater's not working. So then he knows, okay, I'm working on a heater. And not only that, they're creating their own service tickets. So this trailer is able to order its own water. So it's able to tell you if someone's in the trailer and the conditions are not suitable for living conditions, right? So it's not livable. It's not suitable environmentally for someone to be in this trailer. These are advancements in technology that you have to leverage and the opportunities are so great for companies to, to leverage them and to enable these and integrate these into their systems. It's almost a, it's almost, and I'll tell you a little bit, this, the story behind how we had to build this trailer is actually it, it's a, it's a, it's very, it can be very depressing sometimes in this industry to know that you have suppliers that have these trailers and you talk to them. And we, in this case, we talked to over 15 and said, we want to do this to a, one of your safety trailers. You're selling dozens of safety trailers to people every day. We want to put these sensors in there. We want them to be able to have access to this information and you get turned down. And that's, that's a cultural thing, I think. And it's a yep. business, it's a business decision. I get it. You know, they don't want to added costs. They don't want this, but we're coming close to a very minimal cost to put the, this type of technology in these, in these trailers. There is no absolute reason that I can ever think of that you would not want this technology on your location. Absolutely none. 
And we're, we're even approaching technology where we're putting, we're going to put screens in the trailers that you can have live access to an M, to a medical doctor. If there's a situation where you hit the red button emergency, we've had, you know, something terrible's happened on the rig. And then a medical doctor is there with a camera that can see and give life changing, make life changing decisions right there, right on the spot before emergency services get there. These are things that companies should be just jumping, doing backflips to get this technology enabled because it's not expensive. But yet we get pushback sometimes in the industry. And so we developed our own trailer. We're not in the trailer business. Uh, we don't oh, want to be. <laughs> Y'all had to. We, we had we to. Yeah. Uh, and we, then the phone started ringing. It was the like phone they, started they were beating down the door for fear of missing out. Yeah. Right. And and that's exactly the strategy for getting. And, and now we, we are striking deals with trailer builders all over the country wanting to build well site trailers, you know, as part of their offering. I want to back up just a little bit. So the real power here, so I get the sensorized trailer. That's awesome. I get the connectivity issue, right? Internet of things. But the real power I see here is the artificial intelligence that you have that sees all this. Not only can it help order the right supplies, it can say, you know what? I need the trailer there. Where's backup number two? How far away is it? What asset, what rig do I have to mobilize to go grab that trailer and put it in place? It can do that with not a person being involved at all. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's it's really a scaling thing. So, for instance, we go to a, we went to a large independent service company. Actually, it's it's a large public service company, and they wanted to know. Uh, you know, one question they asked is how how like our assets today. Like, how can we use AI to track our assets today? And that was a great, I mean, that's a great way to introduce this technology because this technology, in some cases, you may be a company that's selling a smart uh, service or a smart device that goes to the field in oil and gas, but it's actually not very smart, but it can be made smart very easily by integrated AI systems, conversational AI is just, it's blowing up a natural language understanding, being able to ask, Hey, what is the status of rig trailer number one, two, three, four, and it being able to tell you uh, within three seconds, who's in the trailer? Is there somebody in it? it? What's the temperature? What's my water level? What's my fuel level? These are all huge benefits for the industry. And uh, it's just, it, it really gets to where, even medical supplies and just like you said, statistics wise, what AI can do and how it can prevent issues from occurring and different things. It's just, it's just really mind blowing. And it's way more than having emergency trailers. So think about keeping the guys safe while they're on the job. Literally the AI can go, okay, we're changing this mud pump. Step one, step two. And then it can validate that the guy's doing it. And he's doing this with his voice. So guess what? His hands are free. That's exactly he can hold right. on to the handrail. He can have the gloves on. I mean, this is, when I got my head wrapped around this, like this is, this is literally revolutionary. That's exactly right, Mark. If you think about the opportunity and knowledge sharing uh, and knowledge management with the conversational uh, AI, it's mind blowing, right? It's exactly the scenario you, that you painted there. Being able to, to talk to this device, keep your hands free and essentially prevent incidents before they ever occur. Right. And if you find yourself in a situation where you have a near miss or need to report an incident, the ability to just talk to our, our AI, which we call Petrobot to, to, put that into the system as fast as possible so the appropriate responses and, and measures can be taken. 
And also, though, one of the problems that nobody talks about this is when you have a near miss, a lot of times people don't want to key punch all that information in because they're on the job. That's right. right. But this way you can capture it so you can actually, if the process needs to be changed, you know the process needs to be changed. Once again, somebody's just talking and, and the AI is listening. You're not sitting there key punching something out in a rig somewhere. That's right. Yeah. And I like this is becoming more mobile too, because I think a lot of, you know, five years ago, all the, all the advances were put into the rig or the, the plant, the facility. But now we're talking about this is a trailer that can go anywhere, but it's still connected. It's still providing all that information. And anybody that's been in the oil industry a long enough time has probably seen the video. I don't know if y'all have remembering Charlie. He gives a speech about when he got severely burned and, you know, he's, he's scarred for life, mm-hmm. but he tells the entire story of what happened to him. He, and one of the key factors was he went to a site, he got out of his truck, he left the truck running and they went over to work on equipment and the gas fumes got to his truck, caused the explosion. And so if you got, and, and trucks are already doing this. My, my Tundra tells me when I, and it needs servicing, when the tire pressure is low, it's already got all this information connecting, whether it's a truck or a trailer or something like that to remind somebody, Hey, I know you're in a hurry. Don't forget to shut the truck off before you go, go start working on or a piece of equipment. Or at least shut it off itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the AI could literally go, you know what? This isn't safe. Kill the engine. Yeah. So, But I think now the industry is looking towards the remote locations. They're worried about the worker being out there either working on his own or just with two of them, whether it's on a rig or a pipeline or something like that. I think we've we've got, gone to, all right, the facilities are, yeah, we know we need to be monitoring and, and tracking. And maybe it's not being done to the extent it should be, but now we're talking about remote you know, out of the, out in the middle of nowhere job sites that you can still connect. That's right. And there were technical limitations for, for being able to do this as early as, you know, 10 years ago. But now with the cellular coverage, the way it is and with the advancement in the, in the sensors and IOT capabilities and the advent of platforms like WellSight, uh, we're able to pull all that together and, and put together a solution that has been long overdue and much needed. Yeah. And even if there isn't connectivity, it could store that data could cache that data and whenever you regain connectivity then it could talk again so exactly uh, so it's it's almost like it just works no matter what yeah this is this is some cool stuff mm-hmm. but it's 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 such a big potential impact to the business of oil and gas and we could talk about the business forever but i want to bring it back to the environment this is the hs and show sure so one of the things that this I see overlays perfectly is the whole spill response thing right because typically we have a spill there's a bunch of different entities that have to be notified in some particular order. Then there's a bunch of companies and, and assets that have to be mobilized. The AI could do all that for you. And the AI could be taught how to handle a spill. Yeah, ex- exactly. And we've talked to several large operators about exactly this. The ability to, you know, the, the bad thing about having all these policies and procedures or sitting in PDF documents and Word documents or physical binders on, on someone's shelf, uh, the ability to, to access that information in seconds using conversational AI is a huge time saver and actually could, could help with the compliance in res- response Right. It could lessen the impact of the spill because things get set in motion way quicker than a person could ever set in motion. That's correct. Yeah. So I, I like what Mark just said there, but and I want to ask you all if you've experienced this. A lot of companies have a problem letting letting AI or letting this machine learning take over. They they want it to track and, and give the information, but they want that human intervention. If you're having a spill, even if it's something to shut a valve, they want a they want physical hands on the on the valve. They don't want a piece of machine doing it. it have y'all seen that feedback, or is that mentality changing? Uh, I think it's changing. I think that we still have we we're kind of in in this weird 
flux. I would say that uh, you have older generations that are leaving the oil field. We all know how this great crew change is happening. Why is he looking at me when he said the old generation? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually looking at myself. But uh, So then you have newer generations that these guys are not. I had this conversation. It's a great conversation, and I don't, I don't want to get sidetracked, but uh, the conversation I had is I, I rode, we rode down to South Texas to do a, actually a rig survey of, of how to apply sensor technology and how AI communicates with a rig. And during the, the conversation on the way down to South Texas, I was riding with a, a young man. He's 25 years old, just graduated college. And he said something that was really profound to me. He said, you know, Chris, he said, your generation was taught that like you worked on things like trucks and you worked on things like your truck was your was my computer like it was your computer and now my cell phone is is that's my truck so i wasn't taught how to swing a hammer at things and how to fix things and work harder like you guys were i expect to enter the oil field seeing technology being applied in situations where manual labor used to be king. So that was huge for me because that gives you an idea of the younger generations that are raised on tech that they're going to want actuated valves that close automatically when they know there's a situation that goes on. The oil field is entering this cultural change. I think it's already happening. We see it through conversations that we're talking to people, but it's a great point that it does come up in conversation. Like we don't want, we, we've always had somebody standing there to turn that valve and we don't want to change that. And in fear of maybe loss or something happening, but they, they, they don't always see the advantage of automating it. And so you are, I think we are in that transition period with that. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, if you, if you've driven a car that's five years old or less, there's so much automation going on already. Right. And we've learned to accept it. The first time my car applied the brakes, it freaked me out. Yeah. Now it's just, <laughs> now it's just normal. Right. Yeah. It's the same way in the oil field. And the thing that, the thing is it's fear and people fear the risk of, of not having that guy at the valve. Yeah. Once they understand that the, the AI can do it flawlessly a thousand times and, and never make a mistake. Yeah. It doesn't think differently because it got in a fight with its wife the night before. It didn't have too much to drink yesterday. <laughs> if any, that valve changes, it knows automatically. It doesn't have to be retrained. It, it, the, the machine really is better, which is kind of scary if you're a fan of the Terminator movies. I don't know. <laughs> well, the thing about it is this technology is in our everyday life. You know, you mentioned cars. We, we bought a car just two nights ago. Toyota told us there are 1,100 sensors in, in, in this wow. particular model of car that we bought, right? And, and, and these sensors are in our everyday life. I mean, I, I don't recall the, the stat about how many homes now actually have an Echo Dot and an Alexa, but it, it's it's mind-blowing how— it's, it's one in six. One in six, yeah. right? So, so especially the younger generation, they're seeing that. Even the older generation, uh, you know, we have CIOs saying, I have an Alexa at home, I have an Echo Dot, and I can turn my lights on and off. Why can I not do that here, right? Yeah. And people are asking these questions. And, and, and with the and the financial environment in oil and gas, th this is no longer an option, right? Companies are having to adopt these technologies. They're having to do it from a safety perspective, and they're having to do it from a cost in an efficiencies perspective, right? So we see this trend just going straight up for us in, in, in this technology. 
You know, we could sit here for, I literally could sit here for another yeah. hour and talk. We're getting close when you start winding down the show. Now it's time for our Red Wing safety tip of the week. And as usual, we let our guests do this. Oh, wow. I guess that's going to be me. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you know, I mean, the old standard is the slips, trips, and falls. Uh, I mean, I know we talk about it for, for decades and we beat it like a dead horse, but, you know, keeping your area clean is so important and you know we go into offices and and actually we're kind of shocked sometimes what we see and and sometimes it's it, it's apparent to us even that we're not even been in that environment and maybe that's from another perspective right you get into an environment you get complacent and you don't realize that that's a trip hazard but i think it's just uh maybe re reacquainting yourself with your area and being a, being a intent on keeping your area clean and, and safe so that you don't trip and you don't fall you know guys like me with with hip replacements so <laughs> you know can't take a fall you know it's, it's that's so true and you're right the complacency is what's is, is the problem there they make fun of me at the gun range because always after every magazine i kick the brass out of the way because i just i don't want the brass under my feet i don't want to take a chance and but like, you yeah. say complacency if you step over a cord if there's a power cord leading to your desk and you're constantly stepping over it somebody new to your office is not going to know that that's it's right. there to look at it so don't just get used to something being in the way. That's Actually right. make it a, a safer environment. I like it. Yeah. I'll give another just in case that one doesn't play out so well, <laughs> especially since we, we kind of took the turn toward technology. You know, as much as I personally love the technology, I have to say, look, well, when you're driving, put the phones down, yep. right? I mean, I mean that just makes sense. You can't have a, a 3,500-pound car cruising down the road at 60 mile an hour while you're star- staring at your phone sending a text message, right? That, that's just a no-brainer. Crazy. And we need to do a better job of that, especially as a, the technology adoption increases. Agree so if you've yeah, got your so well site push notifications yeah. on, So don't it. use well site while you're driving. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, uh, Chris and Ken, see that red bag right there? Yes. That's the Red Wing Offshore bag. It is a cult, has a cult-like following. The only way you can win one is you have to go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in there. Audience, you can do the same. And we give away one lucky bag a week. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. Good job, Mark. Yeah. We, we had a show a while back that we had an attorney on. It's like, darn it, we should have the attorney read that part. All right, so if people want to learn more about Wellsite, Ken, where should they go? They should go to www.wellsite.com. And audience, I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever said this before. Go and check it out. I mean, yeah, it's not just for everything we just talked about, which is awesome, but it's, you know, go sign up, make your profile, you know, start, you know, start following people and sharing. It's, it's a social network too. That's right. And it's really cool. It's done really well. Chris, if people want to find out about you personally, you and Ken both, I'm guessing LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn or, or Wellsite. Okay. Uh, we, we have profiles on Wellsite as well, and that's that's where we tend to stay. But we're also active on LinkedIn. Let me as ask well. you a question since you brought that up. If somebody doesn't have a Wellsite profile, can they still see your, your profile on it? No. Okay. Uh, they have to, they they have have to, to sign up account. and create an account. Which is free. Right. It's free. Yeah. So yeah. audience, if you want to go check them out, Wellsite, put a link, Patrick. Yeah, absolutely. Go sign up. It's a free account. How can you be free? Don't be a stranger. You know, uh, if you heard the podcast, Chris and I are here. We'd love to talk with, with the community. Send us an email through the platform, or you can reach us at Ken at Wellsite.com or at Chris at Wellsite.com. We'd be happy to answer any questions uh, that you might have about the platform. 
oh boy, Ken, you might have like a hundred thousand people uh, <laughs> who descend on you yeah, at one no. time. I hope. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to learn about what more about what Patrick and I do, and when, uh, go to allgashse.com. Yep. Give us your email address. <laughs> we promise not to spam you, and we uh, be the first place we notify people when we're doing some cool stuff. And the second place is the second place is the LinkedIn group. Yep, the Oil and Gas Global Network LinkedIn group. Can you form groups on a well site? Yeah, maybe absolutely. Patrick. Let's form it. Let's form a website yeah, group. Absolutely. All right. And then, so this week we'll be at NAPE. Patrick and I and the whole old GGN gang will be there as press. We want to give a big shout out and thank you to Total Land there in Lafayette, Louisiana. They're our NAPE sponsor this year. We're going to be recording podcasts with them. We're going to be shooting videos. We're going to be bringing them with us. Um, and we appreciate that. If you want your company in front of one of our events and have a tag along with us, reach out to me. I'll let you know the details. We're accepting, I think, 41 more event sponsors for 2018. If we can go to all of them. If it's it's a lot of, of events yeah. this year. All right. So, uh, Chris and uh, Ken, thank you so much for, for being on the show. This is awesome. We have another show coming out that we're going to have you back on. An audience, I can't announce it until I have a contract signed. But but what y'all are doing is just unbelievably fascinating and useful and needed in our industry. And I, just, I really love this conversation. So, thank y'all. Yeah, Mark, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And we really want to give a, a big shout out to OGGN. We, we appreciate you guys taking the time to meet with us. Oh, well, thanks, no, Ken. This, this is what we do. This is yeah, what, what you're doing is awesome. Passion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we appreciate that. Ready to get out of here? I think that's it. All right, so folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen in the field? Oh, man. Um, wow. Uh, so I was on a rig uh, down in South Texas uh, around San Isidro, Texas. Um, and this is back in the early days. Uh, you got to understand, when I entered the directional drilling side of this business, it was only about 8% of the market. So most most wells were drilled vertically. Uh, directional drilling was something of a black magic art at that time. So I... I you know, I've run rigs myself, which I shouldn't have. Uh, so, <laughs> might be uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, at the time, it was pretty. It was just standard procedure that uh, a driller knew that you had more experience and you knew what you were doing, and you just assumed that role, right? So you you kind of uh, at the time you just took over. Well, I was fairly comfortable at this point in my career of running rigs, and and I was running the rig and. Uh, actually I, I was coming on to tower. I was not on tower. I was coming on tower. Well, the directional driller in that was there, he had, they had just made a connection and he was lower in the Kelly into the bushings. And I, I noticed I was waiting for him to chain the breakdown so that we could exchange notes. And I noticed mud was just coming out of the, the Kelly bushing. So I knew that we were fixing to take a kick. We were taking a kick at the time. And so I knew the procedures. I knew well control at the time. And, and so then I told him, I said, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. And, and he just, he just ran. So, <laughs> so, so he, he took, he takes off down the stairs leaving and I'm sitting here. And then by this time, mud's about 50 feet in the air blowing and it blew my heart out. This is oil based mud. It's nasty, right? 
So I'm, I get my hands on where I know the clutch is. I know, I know everything that's going on. I unchain it, I clutch it and I bring it up. And by this time I can't see anything. Um, the, the, the actual, the tool pusher had run out there and he had, he had waited till I got up there to the point and there's about a hundred foot of column of mud blowing. It sounds like a jet engine there. It's just my heart's racing a million miles an hour and he shuts it in. So, uh, so we shut it in, we go to the choke and I'm just soaked in black oil based mud and I go down and I just, I remember wiping my eyes and I looked at my relief and, and I just shook my head at him. Like <laughs> you just, you just threw me under the bus and uh, so it gets better. So I, I walk over to the company man's house. He's nowhere to be found. So I go, I see his trucks parked outside the, the cattle guard. So I, I walk out there and he's sitting on the tailgate talking to his girlfriend with beer in a cooler <laughs> and he's drinking beer and he sees me and he just says, he opens up the cooler and he says, here, have one of these. You look like you need it. And I said, man, I don't have time for a beer. I think you need to get back on the rig. Like we're taking a kick. So that's pretty crazy stuff, but that's actually that happened in my, in my career. So it, it was, you know, and I'm not a old, super old guy. So it tells you a little bit about, you gotta, you gotta love this industry. I mean, yeah. you just have to love this industry. Those land rigs. <laughs> <laughs>